Ross Raisin holds an MFA from Goldsmiths College in London, England, where he currently resides. Uh, backward is his first novel, Welcome to the Bibliophile. <laughs> right. You like That's that? Yeah, we're this, going here. Is this a recording? Yes, yes, it's oh, a recording. So, welcome to the Bibliophile. Hello. First of all, congratulations on producing a book that is getting such high-powered recognition. Looks that way, yeah. It's partly, partly this is marketing, but J.M. Kotsia is an outstanding author, and he says Ross Raisin's story of how a disturbed but basically well-intentioned rural youngster turns into a malevolent sociopath is both chilling in its effect and convincing in its execution. That does sound like it might have been written by Harper Collins. Yeah, I've, I've not even seen all of all of these things. I try and not look at them. Obviously, <laughs> if they're on the cover of the book, it's difficult to avoid them. But the idea that these people, Colin Toybin and, and some of these other big name writers who seem to have read it and seem to have liked it, feels still very alien and and strange. Because it was not that long ago when I was just sitting writing the thing, having no expectation of getting published, and so now to be thrown into this machine of publishing and you know to meet all these people as well is is still feels pretty odd i'm sure it must it feels good though i mean you know it must it's a grumble well listen to this too i mean i guess i'm speaking to our audience as much as anyone here and again talk about pressure though the most excitingly original new fiction talent to emerge in britain now this is from the irish times since martin amos well, I, suppose, I suppose this is part of the reason why I uh, try not to read them because if you if you sit there and you have like a pile of your press in front of you and, you, and you're reading it and whether if it's good like like those quotes or if it's bad either way it's not going to have a good effect your ego is going to inflate and then you, you'll have nowhere to put it otherwise you're just going to want to cry and whimper in a little room and never write anything again so I try and straddle between those two things yeah by uh, by just ignoring it okay well let's ignore it then. Uh, after we've drawn attention to it, one of the uh, one of the things that that seems to be common uh, among the reviews and the voices that have weighed in on your on your book, which is called God's Own Country in England. That's right. Yeah. Out backward. It's, it sounds like Australia. Well, it does. Yeah, and I think that's probably part of the. You see, Out Backward was my original title, and when you you know you're there, you're writing your first novel. You obviously don't think of the implications of, well, if this got published, then how would that play in uh, different territories? And if it's called God's Own Country, you know, if, it, if the rights were sold to America or Canada, then that has a different resonance. So maybe I shouldn't call it that. Out Backward was my, was my title, and these, these kind of um, issues only come up afterwards when, you know, you get interest from other places, and they're like, well, it does sound kind of like, are we going to think it's Australia? And so... But as you say, it's, it's not something that's in the front of your mind. It's the whole marketing side of things, it's, this was a creative act of yours, to name it. Yeah, and Out Backwards, I called it that. It, it's, in, it's, it's in the voice of the novel, really. It's quite Yorkshire-ish, and, and it also relates to the, the character. It's, um, there's a, a scene, quite a key scene in it, Cause, because the character is quite a malevolent, quite a difficult character, and for that reason he has a difficult relationship with his parents, who... Um, his father's quite brutal and disowns him and his mother is very troubled by what he does and, and there's one scene when he's done something I can't even remember what and probably shouldn't say because maybe it gives sure. blood away and stuff so, uh, she, she says you must have came out backward oh that's, yes that's right being born out backward like, yeah. uh, like legs first yeah. which, is, which is why you are mentally 
deviant and why you commit these you know atrocious acts and and that kind of rings through his passage through the book he, not a very good beginning for him really is it having his mother say something like that yeah well she says she says worse as well but yeah. um, but he, um, he he gradually assumes all of these things that people say about him and he, and he becomes them as well so he he feels them about himself so he's, he's having difficulty escaping a rather troubled early childhood yeah a lot of the difficulties that he has are brought on by himself he, he gets expelled for, from school accused of rape but accused of rape yeah and then there's a, there's a passage there's a chapter in the book that describes that scene and like much of the book it's 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 quite ambiguous because it's because it's told in his voice and you're not sure quite how much you trust him and also just the very description of it as well you can't quite piece together exactly what's happening because you're not sure it's not necessarily so much that he's lying it's just that you're not sure how much what he describes is actually what's going on and how, how deluded he is because he, he does become increasingly deluded throughout the book yeah it's, it's interesting I was speaking with another uh, hot in all senses of the word young author Rivka Gulkin Okay. Her novel deals with someone who's deluded, and it's in his voice. All right. So there's no distance, really. That's the narrator's voice, so you're experiencing his delusion, but you're also seeing how other people react to yeah. his delusion. And his, his wife, you can see how she feels helpless and upset because of this character's yeah. delusion, but you see it through his eyes. Yeah. You want to take the reader into this into this sort of malevolent. Oh, so, yeah, a real part of the challenge for me was in this book, partly through the language and partly through the oddness of his mind. You're very much drawn into his world. In a way, it's quite a compelling world. And it's difficult to see outside of it. But as a writer, it was quite a challenge because he has very strong opinions about, and they're usually not good opinions about all the people around him. And so, in a way, you sympathise with him, but kind of being able to kind of get the glimpses of what those people around him think of him and how correct they are to think them. Um, it's quite a challenge to get that, to make that objective within his bizarre head. For the reader to, to be seeing things from his perspective, but to resist, what, bonding with him? Yeah, that's one of the whole kind of points of, of this novel is... That you inevitably do bond with him. That's it's quite a good way of putting it, actually. You don't, you don't necessarily completely sympathise with him because some of the things that he does are pretty horrific. Mm. But you do bond with him and you do like him because he's, you know... Well, because he's quite funny and because he's quite unusual. But then when he does the things that he does, then you're challenged and you think, well, I shouldn't be siding with this guy who's just, you know, murdered a chicken or tried to murder a person, which he doesn't quite do. But, you know... He, He's along those tracks, and so in that way, you, you're you're hopefully forced to think about about why he does those things, and you know how he's got to this state that he's in, and then who's maybe culpable for that. As I mentioned earlier, one of the universal judgments that's passed on the book talks about the voice that you've developed for this character and the Yorkshire dialect that you've embellished with your own imagination. What is it that you think? So intrigues people about this. What about that voice? For the Yorkshire, the, 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 the Yorkshireness, but also the fact that you've got neologisms that you've, you know, new words that you've developed. What is it that's so appealing about this? Do you think? The playfulness, or it's definitely it's certainly very playful. And there's, there's um, I think certainly within England, 
because I'm, I'm not sure outside of England how familiar people are with the Yorkshire language, but for one thing, you don't see it that often, really, outside of brief stereotype. And that stereotype tends to be that the Yorkshire language is like the Yorkshire people, which is quite short and blunt and harsh. And so you don't often get presented with that, the reality of it, I suppose, which is that it is, the language itself is quite playful and quite inventive. And so to see that, well, or to hear that through a character's voice, I think has been um, quite interesting for some people. You know, in, in Yorkshire as well, like uh, it's had, it's had um, quite a good response within Yorkshire. Like people that aren't like my family and stuff as well, like they're like, yeah, I knew that word, you know, but I never, I've not heard that word for years. And, and in a way, I've kind of, I've cheated in a way because it's not a very contemporary and not necessarily a very real language in lots of ways because I've, I've muddled things up and I've, you know, I make no bones about the fact that I've muddled it up and I've, I've got different locations in Yorkshire, idiom from, from those places, and put them in the same you know, in the same pot and, and a few of my own that I've put in there. I wonder why it's so appealing. Why have people focused on this aspect of your work and uh, and celebrated it? I'm not entirely sure. I think partly because I'm just trying to think of a fiction that does a similar thing and there's not, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this is completely original and innovative because it's, it's not, but I don't think there's a great deal of fiction that does a similar thing with, with a very specific regional voice outside of maybe Irish fiction or maybe Scottish fiction. Certainly Scottish fiction does that, but... I'm trying to think there's one author, what's his name, Oban. He plays with the language, but it, as you say, it's not specific. What is it? Ridley Walker... Uh, anyway, it's a it's a novel that's quite highly regarded, but it it's not specific to any particular region. Right. He does make up a lot of words. I suppose there's, as you've said, there's a musical element to it as well that that perhaps just makes it a joy. It certainly um, works well in readings. I, yeah. I, I found I quite I quite enjoy doing that. Yeah, it, it becomes more interesting than if than if it was read in a in a in a very plain sort of RP sort of a voice. RP is. Queen's English, yeah, received received pronunciation. That's yeah, and I, you know, I found I've, I tried to read it in like my normal voice, and it doesn't. It just sounds odd because because I'm reading a, a text that is a different voice in my own voice, and it, it, just, it doesn't work. So I so I read it in a. Okay, we better get. Oh, we better do it now. <laughs> Any passage that well, exemplifies. When I've done readings, I um I mix the passages up because, or like I'll read one passage one day and I'll read another another day because. Otherwise, you just you just get really bored, and, and it kills it for you. Generally, think it's quite good to read from the beginning because get people excited and interested. Yeah. Sure, you want to hook them. How, how long would you like to read for here? Half I don't a page know. or yeah, half a page is great. You, you give me a nod and you know, right. bored, maybe. Yeah. Ramblers, daft sods in pink and green hats, wasn't even cold. They moved down the field, swing swaying like a line of drunks, addled with the air and the land and the smell of manure. I watched them from up top, their bright heads peeping through the fog. Sat on my rock there, I let the world busy itself below, all manner of creatures going about their backwards forwards, same as always, never mind the fog had them half-sighted. But I could see above the fog. It bided under my feet, settled in the valley like a sump pool, spreading three miles over to the hills at Felton. The rambles hadn't marked me. They'd walked past the farm without taking notice of me or a father rounding up the flock from the moor. Oi there, ramblers, I demanded for shouting. What the bugger are you doing, talking to that sheep? You think she fancies her natter, eh? And they'd have bowed down royal for me then, no doubt. 
So sorry, Mr. Farmer. We won't do it again. I hope we haven't upset her. For that was the way with these. So respect-minded they wouldn't dare even look on myself for fear of cropping up nature's balance. The laws of the countryside. And me. I was real, living, farting nature to their brain of things. Part of the scenery, same as a tree or a tractor. I watched as the last one over the stile fiddled with the rock on top of the wall, for he thought he'd knocked it out of place waiting himself over. Daft sods, these ramblers. I went toward him. I'll give it a rest there. That's great. Thank you. He's exhibiting, I suppose, something perhaps that that anyone who's a farmer would think about these bloody tourists kind of interfering with his yes. way of life. That's a sort of an honest reaction to these ramblers, whereas most people would welcome them because of the tourist money. Well, yeah, yeah. They're essentially harmless. And, you know, as he says in that passage, they, you know, they're, they're so conscious of doing harm that they, they become very harmless. But as a kind of um, part of a broader group of people who are moving into the countryside, then I think they are quite harmful. Not necessarily ramblers. Ramblers is, ramblers is slightly different. I mean, yeah. he, he takes them a couple of They come and go. Because they come and go, you know. Yeah. I'm a rambler. I come over, I've come over to Camelot. I've been to Algonquin Park and rambled in there. And, you know, I'm not doing any harm. There's no uh, people in there either. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A few moose, but... But the people that, the people that are... Um, like this, the family that moves in next to his farm um, was a farm, but then it's the farmer... I can't remember actually if he dies or if he, if he goes bankrupt, but certainly in uh, today's farming climate, he probably goes bankrupt. And it's um, moved into by a rich family moving up from London. And they commute, don't they? Or they they actually they actually live there. They're not they're not second homers. There's a lot of second homers moving into the area, which is you know very indicative of the real situation. But they, they actually move into this into this property, and uh, and there is something quite harmful in that. And a lot of people are doing that, and the local community. It puts a pressure on them, forces the house prices up for one thing. It's difficult for young people to be able to afford to find places to live. And they're forced to leave their Yeah, and they move, they move further out, um, and the, the community becomes fragmented, but physically and also in, you know, environment, like it, and yeah. its atmosphere and, the, and, what, and what it means, like the community that's lived there for a long time, these off-coming people moving in. So his resentment may strike a chord with certain portion yeah. of the population. Yeah, I think so. Although I should, I should point out that he, he also hates the people that were originally in the town. Yeah. He kind of hates, he hates everybody. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's t- democratic in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Egalitarian. I can't help but bring up Ted Hughes's name. Um, well, I would say he's not really influenced my, my work. It's very flattering that you should bring it up, but, but I don't think... Well, I, sh- yeah, I should... I should say, I mean, it's the it's the location. <laughs> it is as yeah. much as anything. Uh, and in that way, you know, you could probably name any number of people. Simon Simon Armitage is, yeah. is a modern day person who's you know greatly admired. No real influence, though. Well, it's hard to say, yeah. really, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I would say there's no direct influence, but you can never everything influences you. You know, yeah. you take somebody like Simon Armitage who writes beautifully, and you and he sometimes writes in this kind of Yorkshireish way. Then obviously that's got in there somewhere, and it's. It's feeding into what I do. James Joyce comes to mind too. I, I thinking when you were reading, I was thinking about passages in Ulysses. Right. Um, well, again, like, I mean, I haven't read Ulysses. I, you know, I think in university days I started it, and then went to the pub probably. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But in terms of the absorption in a in a in a first person world, then you know, 
it's like maybe this is maybe ten steps further into the real world than than, than you'll see. But I mean, if if any books did have more of a direct influence, I suppose in terms of like first person books and something like Catching the Rye or, or mm-hmm. the Butcher Boy are more mm-hmm. kind of on the same level of first person world okay. as, as this. And those two books actually, I, I would say, probably influenced me a bit. There's a, another young uh, author here, Joe Dunthorne. I yeah. don't know if you had a chance to, to chat with him, but we, we well, I know I know Joe actually because um, we we both published in England by the same publishers, Penguin. We published at the same time, roundabout, and so we've been through this whole process together, which is quite nice. And so it's quite nice coming here and, and, and meeting him and. And also, I think we've been often put together at events and, and things because, in, in some ways, our books are quite similar mm-hmm. in that they both deal with um, his is a, is a teenage boy, mine's a kind of young man, and they're both slightly misogynistic. Yeah. yeah, odd. You're not quite sure how mentally stable they are. And his book is very, you know, very funny. So we have been put together, and you know, there's similarities certainly between the books. And you both have master's degrees in creative writing. Yeah. Is this a, a new breed of... Well, actually, Ian McEwan went to uh, East Anglia, too, I think. Yeah, I think so. This is sort of unusual to meet uh, authors oh, yeah. who have master's degrees. Is that right? It's, um, I, I might be wrong, or maybe it's the juxtaposition of the two of you in, in the yeah. interviewing sequence. But There's a lot of um, uh, writing courses. So I don't... Well, there are over here as well, I think, but like in the UK, there's there's been a real growth of them like in the last... Five ten years, especially, I think. Well, it's it's a way to employ all sorts of well, yeah. novelists, you know. Yeah, I think I'll probably get yeah, <laughs> on that. The thing is, though, I mean, it doesn't really help you with. You, you've either got a talent, a creative talent, or you don't. What what does it? How does it help your writing? To be honest, I found it really helped because not so much, you know, as, as you say, and you're right. Like it doesn't. Well, as you know, I, I don't think you either have a creative talent or you don't, and there's no way of. If you don't have one, then you've finished. You can improve on it. The idea of creative talent is a it's a nebulous one somehow, and I think I don't know. I mean, there's obviously a, a, a strong element of creativity that comes into writing any sort of book, um, whether it's a kind of imaginative book or whether it you know whether it's not. But I think the kind of the technique and the graft and the uh, and the reworking is is the is the key element to it. And in one respect, um, that's one of the things that is often drummed into you in creative writing schools, which is a good thing. But more than anything else, I think it's good because you meet it's the first time you meet other writers really. And mm-hmm. that's and that's really important because, you know, it's it's quite a difficult thing to do to, to sit on your own and be yeah. alone and, and write with, with no kind of support around you. Which is why it's you know, it's nice further down the line to come to a festival like this. Which is I mean, I've not been to that many, but certainly in terms of the ones I've been to, it's quite unique in that the authors are very much encouraged to mix together and, and talk to each other, which, as a you know, for first-time published writer, I find really useful and, uh, and and makes me feel much more comfortable in the in the world. Speaking from my own experience, I have a sort of a, a dual personality. I like to be on my own, quietly ruminating and reading and writing, and also like to socialize. It sounds like that uh, experience at, at the university may have filled that. The, the void for you to some extent. Yeah, yeah. But also to be able to talk to like-minded people who are enthusiastic about what that's you do. Thing, yeah, that's the thing. It stops you in a way from becoming quite precious and guarded about your work, because 
you are hopefully encouraged to um, read each other's work and edit it and you know and get together and talk about your work and like where it's going wrong and what you might be able to do to and so those that's the first time really when you, you get into that that way of, of thinking about your writing which is which is vital and it eventually comes to if you get published you have an editor and you have it's the same process in a way you have to be able to let go of some of those sentences that you've written and, and, and then say well actually they're, they're rubbish you know you get rid of that and it's funny though you'd never ever think of James Joyce doing a back and forth with an editor I don't know how he went with an editor maybe he didn't have that much editing but I think the relationship with the editor differs with different writers like some writers kind of crave that support that, that editing support from from their editor in, in terms of like the nitty gritty of their work and like they really want them to kind of go through it and tighten all those nuts and bolts and some writers don't you know they want a very light editing sometimes they want maybe more emotional sort of support and I suppose the key to being a good editor is, is to you know is to nail what you read the person do. yeah I'm speaking with Ross uh, Raisin who has just come out with his first novel called Out Backward in North America and God's Own Country in the rest of the world or just England? Just England. Just England, yeah. Yeah. Can we return then to the voice question because I do want to see if we can't get anything more out of, as I say, this is the way it's being received. Here's this voice. Here is this playful. We're inside the head of, in fact, I think there are hardly any criticisms of the book. Really? There, one, there was one comment that suggested that throughout the book, Sam's internal monologue is far more compellingly realized than the glimpses of other characters around him. Okay, it is uh, hard to believe, for instance, that in the girl's outrage that incomers are killing the local culture. That's quite interesting, though. So in the girl's outrage, the incomers are killing the local culture with their delis and wine bars but then Sam's is such a fantastically vivid voice and it's not surprising reality pales in comparison that's part of his problem it's also what makes God's Own Country such an absorbing read and raising a young writer to watch what's that from? not sure where that it might be in The Guardian such a fantastically vivid voice it's not surprising that reality pales in comparison. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with that, actually. I've not reread the book for, for quite a while. Like, I finished it a year and a half ago, I suppose, and, and I said to myself, why do I think it's strong, and why do I think, you know, if I did it again? I think one of the areas that, if I was to do it again, which, obviously, I'm not going to... Um, well, you're going to do something again, though. I'm going to do something again, very different, but um, I'll maybe get onto that in a bit. But um, I, I think that that... Those glimpses, in fact, I talked about them earlier, of the of the real world, um, the external world outside of his head. I think I could make them stronger, um, and it's a tr- it's a tricky thing because it all comes through his his vision, um, and I don't I don't I don't want a huge contrast between his world and the world outside, and I don't, I don't want those two things like sitting side by side because I I want it still very much you know through his eyes but I want more perhaps of a complexity in um, in the effects of what he does and the people that, are, that, that he's doing them to and so yeah the girl character I think maybe yeah I don't, I don't know but then at the same time like her well maybe it doesn't come across enough strongly enough but her outrage at um, 
these 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 things like the deli bars and the wine bars is certainly as I see it it's a kind of not quite real and a slightly teenage like reactionary thing and it's partly that she's she's um, she's trying to impress him I think in a way by saying these things that she knows that he's, he's probably going to agree with um, and he and he in the book does find it slightly odd that she says some of these things um, but he's slightly too preoccupied with the fact that he, he likes her to, um, to really <laughs> think about them that much right how exactly would you do that then? How would you make? It's from his company. You know, if, it, if he's the narrator, um, he's slightly deranged. How are you going to make the the uh, the the rest of the world uh, what more vivid, more complex? How, how how would you do that? Would you would you switch? Uh, Narrator, or would you go to third person talking about the other characters, or what, what well, you would you could do? do? I suppose you could do those things, but um, to me, that would that would really take away from the um, the world that you're creating. I yeah. think, you know, once once I, you know, and once I did, you're inside his head, you're not you're not gonna. Yeah, and I, you know, uh, I did I did play with those ideas, and I did I did start doing them, but I found that. As a writer, and I think as a, as a reader as well, you're much more interested in what's going on inside his head, mm-hmm. and so, and so you, you're not you're not that interested in the, in the other bit because because it's just not as it's just not as um, powerful, um, and so I, I did away with it and just and, and, and went for it just in this yeah. in this one voice and in this one world. So how would you do it though? Um, you're, you're talking about improvement, so how would you improve it or or change it? It's it's a very subtle thing to me, I think, and I think it would involve, in terms of like obliterating text, not not a great deal. I think it's a very subtly descriptive thing of describing characters and situations through his voice. That, in a very nuanced way, makes you makes you kind of check back a little bit and think, well, actually, yeah, he has actually just murdered that chicken, and so that look in the person's eye, who's who's coming in and seeing those dead chickens, you as the reader can maybe like sympathise more and like and, and think, well, actually, yeah, that's you know that's. He's, if, if the fox is coming to kill all those chickens, and that's going to really destroy their or affect their livelihood, and so I feel sorry for them, and so I feel, you know, that's you shouldn't have done that. And, it, and it, but for me, it's, it's a very it's a very subtle descriptive thing. In, okay. Yeah. But but I, I'm not entirely sure how to do it because I've not I've not gone through and, and reworked the thing. And I know you know once you finish the book, then you, yeah, you, you leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's it there. Now that's yeah. That's. Well, what it is, it's the, the neat thing is, it's now out, and all sorts of people are making it their own book. Yeah. And uh, and filling in the gaps and uh, with their own interesting takes and experiences. Yeah, yeah. which is such a weird, yeah. such a weird thing, especially for a first time author. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you, and of course, you know, I come here and I meet, you know, people who've who've read the book and they've come at it for the first time, and so they tell me their experiences of, you know, when they visited Yorkshire and what they thought of Yorkshire, and you know. 
what they think of like cottaging here in Canada, and, and it's and it's interesting, you know, mm. and it and it changes as well. And as as the um, the area where where it's set changes, and as the farming industry, which is obviously very rooted in the book, changes, um, then the, the book's relation to the, the real world changes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, just as the book itself. Yeah, I mean. You read it today. You read it ten years from today. Yeah, I mean, it's if, a I d- book. if I did, re- if I did write it again now, then it would be slightly different. And and, and in the book, the um, it is it is very present the struggle of the farming community. Mm. Um, but if I was to rewrite it now, then it would be I'd, ta- I'd take so. it up and hot share. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if uh, just in in uh, closing. Uh, well, incidentally, it's uh, this this character is being called uh, maybe by the other students, Lankenstein. Yeah, um, that was just playing around so, because he, and in a way, it's um, describing, giving the reader an idea of what he looks like because obviously he's it's a first-person novel. It's not you know he's he's not going to sit there and describe what he looks like to the reader, and so you. That's one of the ways you know that one of the these kind of like how do you feed in the outside world, um, mm-hmm. and so it's. That's, that's little suggestive things like that to me when I heard that word Lankenstein I'm getting a clear image of this of this awkward tall lanky ugly farm boy mm. in school and how he relates to how he relates to all the, the other kids and how they you know what they think of him and how how they can be quite cruel and so like in in small descriptive things like that that's that's the sort of thing I'm talking about I think. yes yes putting uh uh, putting descriptives or or uh, filling in the puzzle using other people's voices, yeah. yeah. And, and and that you know tells you something about the community that he lives in as well, because that's they're not very uh, tolerant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just wonder uh, if you could. Um, Give me your take on uh, an evaluative criteria for great works, if you have one. Um, Crikey. <laughs> and, well, uh, and if so, uh, you know, how you might uh, evaluate your own work. Um, okay, well, I think it's very easy to um, lapse into snobbery about about like evaluating works and, and essentially a good work is is one that does what it sets out to do and so I wouldn't I wouldn't rate particularly rate um, a good work of literary fiction above a good work of um, crime fiction or you know mm. genre fiction but you must uh, you must have a, a list of favorite. Well, works and I, and I wonder what would put them in that uh, you know what would qualify well, for that list it, it's, it's very subjective isn't it and so for me when I read a book I like to be um, I like to be taken away into a world and I like to very often be taken away into a world by um, um, language um, and by a book that has a real um, evocation of, of place and um, 
and, and, and style as well um, and so the books that, that I greatly admire are books like um, well authors like Peter Carey say who is a real like sentence person I would describe him as like he, his books are perfectly crafted um, and, and beautiful and, that, and that, that gives him the ability to be able to write in all sorts of different styles like he, he wrote The True History of the Kelly Gang which is in a way in the same style as, as my book you know it's a it's a character who is um, <clears throat> kind of slightly outside of the pale very imaginative but uneducated and so unusual in that way but, but then you know and then he wrote Oscar and Lucinda as well which is a third person novel of, of great scope that goes you know across the world different characters and he's able to do that because he's because he's so minute in his use of words and language and so for me it's about it's about using it's about using language it's about using words um, and and you can do that you, you can do that in any in any genre so like at the reading I did last night I was reading with uh, Jeffrey Deaver who's somebody I wouldn't really mm-hmm. normally read but his reading was fantastic it really really took me away you know I was I was there in that world that's why you mentioned the crime fiction genre then. Yeah, well, because yeah. I have a roundtable event with him and a few of the crime fiction um, writers today, which would be interesting because I've never actually read a, a, a crime fiction novel. Yeah. Um, but but like his reading last night really took me away. And so for me, it's that it's that ability to take you into a into a world and keep you in there. And and the flaws, if, if there are flaws in the book, it's it's when you come outside of that world and then maybe go back into it but you need to keep that reader in that world until they finish the book and they put it down and they're like wow that was, that was great yeah it was a, it was a say a transforming experience but certainly one that uh, that took you took you out of yourself yeah yeah um, and that world in uh, in out backward is is the world of Sam's mind yeah yeah mm-hmm. Hmm. Any other criteria that you uh for a great a great work? Yeah. Um, to be honest, no. I prefer to keep it simple and and like yeah. I mean, you, you can elaborate on it and put any sort of intellectualism on it that you like that it maybe changes your world view on certain things or which I suppose in a way you're always well I would always try to be doing mm-hmm. um, to an extent and so I, I, I certainly like to write about issues that I think are important so like the countryside and farming and my new novel um, um, homelessness and bereavement and um, like the death of industry um, and these, these things are important but um, but essentially it's it's um, yeah taking you away into a world so putting you into another world but then then also what exposing you to Exposing you to things, situations that you you personally, as an author, feel need to be uh, discussed. Yeah, and and um, and ones that that your reader hasn't doesn't necessarily think about all the time. I mean, yeah, I didn't write this for the farming community. I wrote this for the non-farming community more, but I wanted them to really think about, you know, mm-hmm. what's it like to be a farmer. What's it like to be a farmer in, in this day and age when farms are going to the wall? Um, how does that how does that feel? And how does it feel to be 
feared and often mistrusted by most of the community around you. Um, so yeah, uh, it's interesting you use the word feel because you could you know any number of uh, newspaper reports could, to discuss the issue, but when you are able to uh, appeal to well, a reader's yes. emotion and feeling, it becomes a, a more important part of. Well, yes, that's what, fiction, that's what fiction does, isn't it? Yeah. I suppose. Just finally, then, I, I read somewhere that you were you're up in Scotland doing some research on on homelessness. You say, or uh, or the the demise of uh, in, in industry. Yeah, I've, I've um, my new novel is set in Glasgow. Certainly, the first half of it is set in Glasgow, um, and it, it concerns a character, a middle-aged man who loses his wife. And it's set against the backdrop of um, shipyards closing down. Um, well, actually, it's set more against the backdrop of the shipyards having closed down years ago, because over the course of the last 50 or more years, the uh, industry, industry generally, but in this area, the shipyards around the Clyde and Glasgow have shut down. And it was, you know, it was the biggest shipbuilding area in the world. It was, it, it was enormous, and all the sort of related industries around that. And so now... To, that has a big effect, you know, has a huge effect if you take all that away. Um, I think, although it's, it, it's been revitalised for some, whatever reason, it's been partly revitalised, but it's, ne- it's never going to be a- anything approaching what it was. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, this, there's, there's a couple of shipyards still up and out that do work for um, uh, a company called BAE Systems, mostly, primarily, I think, and they, they create like um, um, warships mainly. Um, mm. So you're, you're, when you say research, you actually you'll go out and you'll talk to, you'll interview people and uh, yeah, I've been doing do that. some I mean, historical I'm, archival kind of... Yeah, and I've been talking to the um, shipbuilding union as well. Um, but I need to do more still. I'm still in the early stages, but, but I find that quite interesting. And does that then give you a sort of an idea on what kind of character you're going to you build? Or do you, you, yeah, you meet someone from the union and you think, oh, this could be... <laughs> this could be my character. Uh, uh, yeah, you could be my character. Um, I try and avoid that, n- not for any sort of libel reasons so much as um, imaginative reasons that I find. Personally, I find it, do- it doesn't help me if I try and describe somebody. Um, yeah. Like if I've met you this afternoon and I try and write something, a book about you, then I think it would be more limiting than, than if I just tried to imagine. Yeah, or you might take bits and pieces. I take bits and pieces of yeah. it, maybe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like a leg or, or maybe a leg, yeah. a shoe, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> no socks because I can't no wear socks, no, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Well. Uh, so wh- when's the when's you don't have any kind of timeline on this, or do you? Um, I have a delivery date. Oh, okay. Um, which is the beginning, <laughs> the, the, well, the end of two thousand and nine. You're pregnant now. And <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. No, Great. Although not showing. <laughs> Sorry. Well, thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. Thank you.